This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 11 Darien considered Rilling, the Stonemont courier, to be a friend. He knew something was very wrong when the gate guard at the palace told him the man had come and gone and had not sought him out. Darien felt a moment of irritation, mostly because he depended on the unofficial news that Rilling brought him to accurately judge the state of things in Stonemount. He stood in the doorway of the Rooster and Steer Tavern and studied Rilling through narrowed eyes. He didn't like the man's new uniform. It spoke of big, grim changes in Stonemount. Even more, he disliked the way the man bubbled in his beer one moment and then looked ready to break into tears the next. Something was very wrong. Why was Rilling here, drinking in a corner, instead of visiting the baker around the corner with the lovely little brunette daughter who giggled only for him? Finally, Darien couldn't stand it any longer. He nodded to the barman and crossed the sparsely populated floor to settle on the bench opposite the sodden courier. It's been a long time, friend. I just heard the news about King Doyne's death. How do things stand in Stonemount? Tight and quiet. Rilling's voice was a little too steady for someone who looked half gone in his cups. Did something else shake him besides the beer? Nobody knows quite what to say or even where to look. King Maddox is not going to be very happy when I get back. Any reason? Darian asked, after several seconds of trying to find a more delicate way of asking. He's been making it very clear that your king has been pressuring him to marry Princess Arden, and what a distasteful proposition it's been, enough to threaten the friendship between our countries. Distasteful? Darian's brain seemed to stick on that word, and he couldn't move past it, like oxen mired up to their knees in drying mud. Yep, Rilling continued, his voice trembling. He says she's no better than a peasant. Filthy, no manners, and a fat, ugly sow. He bubbled sick chuckles into his beer as he took a hasty sip. When I tell him, she's the most beautiful woman, his voice shrilled and broke. His hand shook when he wiped his mouth. He went off and came near to kidnapping Bianca of Ambray and brought her home as his queen. She's pretty, but she's this feathery, whispery little thing. The difference between her and your princess? The king made a bad bargain. He won't like finding out how bad. He likes to share his pain when he's angry, I've heard. Then don't tell him. Stay here. Let me help you. Darian dug into his belt pouch with a hand that trembled pulled out a handful of coins and put them into Rilling's lax hand. Most of the coins were silver, a few gold. King Alfred paid his people well, and provided them housing and clothes beyond their uniforms, and food from the royal kitchens. There was very little Darien ever needed to buy, except in celebration. And he suspected very soon he would want to celebrate. The question was how soon Arden would share that celebration with him. That's a great deal of money. For what? The other man asked, slowly closing his fingers around the glittering pile. You've made me a very happy man, my friend. 
and I like to share my joy. Go get sobered up and tell Melissa you're settling in Westerland. Maybe you should become a baker. The astonished grin Rilling gave him was no match for the one Darian now wore. Darian knew Arden would be in the gardens, taking comfort from the plants there. He hurried through the gates and saw her stumbling blindly across the grass, one arm outstretched, as if reaching for the chapel door another dozen steps away. He felt sick. What arrogance made him think that she would be glad at this news? She had laughed at herself when she confessed the secrecy Maddox had tricked her into. Darian had hoped that any affection she had for the new King of Stonemount had died. He had hoped that the smiles she gave him, the kisses they shared, had been full of promises. If she was hurt at this final blow to the dreams she had carried since childhood, Darian wasn't sure what he would do. He adored Arden, but a man had his pride, and being second choice was a bitter cup to drink. Still, how could he stand there, watching her stumble in pain at this final shredding of her heart. He hurried across the grass to her. She shuddered and pressed both hands against her face just as he reached her. Darian enfolded her in his arms. The trembling all through her body sent a hot flash of angry pain through him, and he wished he could face Maddox of Stonemount so he could strangle the man. It's all right, he murmured into her hair. He's not worth it. Everything's going to be... Darian turned her to face him and nearly dropped her when he realized she was red-faced and tear-streaked and shuddering from silent laughter. Laughter so deep she could hardly breathe or walk. Arden clung to him, gasping, drunk with laughter. She shuddered so hard she nearly twisted free of his arms and finally caught her breath. Of course it's going to be all right. We're free. She pulled free of him and executed a giddy pirouette. Laughter finally squeaked out as she took his hand and led him in a stumbling dance over the grass. Darian took a deep breath and sent a silent shout of thanks heavenward, then took a firmer grip on her hands and eagerly joined in. What are you going to do now? He couldn't help asking. Oh, dear. She paused for a few seconds and made a face at him, but the laughter wouldn't retreat. Don't make me think about the future. The present moment is too wonderful to ignore. How wonderful, his voice cracked. Arden froze for three long heartbeats, so he feared he had hurt her. Then her face flushed, and she smiled with a new shyness that made him catch his breath and slowly twined her arms around his neck. If I kiss you now, he swallowed hard, and his arms ached as he wrapped them around her, trying not to crush her with the jubilation surging through him. I can't in all honor let you marry someone else, not if you feel even a little bit. Arden kissed him, long and softly, sweetly, until he saw sparks of green magic behind his eyelids. When they both had to stop to catch their breaths, she stayed pressed tight against him and tucked her head under his chin. You did just ask me to marry you, didn't you? She whispered, begged, pleaded, vowed all my honor. His voice cracked. Then he stared, as a thin, elderly woman, all green and gold light, faded into view behind Arden and smiled at him. She spoke, but he couldn't hear what she said. Auntie? Arden leaned back enough she could turn to look at the woman, then at Darian, then back at the woman. You can see Auntie Glinna? When he nodded, she clung to him again. Then everything is perfect. 
That's proof. Yeshen blesses us. More important, does Auntie Glinna approve, he asked. Arden laughed and kissed him again. Spring always arrived slowly, reluctantly in Stonemount, as if the warmth and fertility and greenness had become lost in the winding cobblestone streets and couldn't find a way across the city. Yet centered on the apple tree and radiating outward a little more each day, spring came early in the royal gardens. Royal tradition opened the palace gardens to all the citizens of Stonemount. In celebration of the news that Bianca was carrying their first child, Maddox played indulgent father-to-be and gave in to her pleading to follow that tradition. For ten days, even at twilight, when most hard-working artisans and merchants and crafters were settling in for a well-deserved night of rest, there were people in the gardens, enjoying the unexpected bounty of life and a touch of magic. Maddox found the whole process— the very concept of sharing his private retreat with the general population, disgusting. He sometimes wondered if he would ever again be able to enjoy a walk in the gardens, even after the gates were closed again, simply because the memory would pollute the environs for him. Like everyone else, he came often to visit the green golden glowing apple tree, but watching the marvelous young tree brought him no comfort or pleasure. Even the reports from his spies that Princess Arden had done no visible plant-wise magic since the disappearance of her tree didn't give him pleasure. Ambrose found him one evening, scowling at the gate in the wall around the tree. He lurked in the shadows of the older, larger trees surrounding the cleared area, as if some invisible wall held him back. This was one of those golden evenings, the sky streaked with purple and rose, the clouds promising a blessing of nighttime rain and fair weather the next day. Ambrose walked through the gardens, breathing deeply and wishing joy on everyone he met. Maddox's scowl was like the slap of an icy rag across his face. Ambrose honestly couldn't tell if the dark threads of grit and decay weaving through the garden came from the tainted, imprisoned tree or from Maddox himself. Despite the sickness Ambrose sensed at its core, the apple tree was taller than the tallest soldier now, gleaming softly with golden-green magic. The tree was so thick with leaves it was almost impossible to see the tiny apples that peered out between them, and that was the greatest marvel of all. A tree less than two years old, bearing apples in many different colors, pale pink and golden and deep wine-colored and streaked gold and green and red, the air within fifty yards of the tree smelled warm and sweet like harvest time. What could possibly make Maddox scowl like that? Ambrose seriously doubted that his great-nephew had taken to heart any of the warnings he had given him. So what troubled him? It's a crime, Maddox snarled under his breath, and finally turned his head to glare at Ambrose. Before the elderly healer could ask what he meant, Maddox pointed with a jerky swing of his stiff arm. A peasant couple stood barefoot in the thick moss that carpeted the ground around the apple tree, looking up at the branches. They were examining the apples, visibly trying to decide which one to pick. He looked around and finally found a child sitting just within the wide-open gates. Even in the shadows, the child was pale, with dark patches under his eyes. Clearly, the couple was trying to find an apple to heal their child. Ambrose shivered and sent up a silent, swift prayer that the blessing Arden had woven into the tree still dominated, 
and the apples now on the tree would give blessing and healing. He couldn't bring himself to warn them and incur Maddox's fury. Dylan still had freedom to come and go, although he was certainly gone from Stonemount more often than he was present. Ambrose knew Maddox wouldn't dare touch him, but he could find ways to use Dylan to punish his grandfather. Please, Yeshin, protect your innocent people, he prayed. Asking why the couple hadn't come to find Ambrose and ask him to heal their child was a waste of time. While many of the guards knew they were to fetch him if someone needed healing, no matter what time of the day or night, few did so. Maddox made sure everyone knew Ambrose was one of the greatest treasures of Stonemount, and he had a royal duty to protect his aging great-uncle's strength. Ambrose felt Maddox used the excuse of royal duty far too often to justify the things his father and grandfather never would have condoned. Too much had changed in the months since the death of King Doyne. More and more, the stamp of royalty and the idea of facing the palace gates and guards intimidated most people. Too many nobles supported the elevated attitude Maddox had toward royalty. The ones who disagreed either kept quiet or they stayed at their country estates and rarely came into the capital. Those apples belong to the nobility, Maddox continued, not to filthy peasants. It's never a crime to heal a child, no matter who his parents are, Ambrose replied, trying to put a little humor into his voice. The longer Maddox believed that he complied with his beliefs and orders, the longer Dylan would be safe. Ambrose saw the parents take the apple they had selected to their child. All the apples were small, little more than a few bites even for a child. Ambrose prayed again, for protection even more than healing. In moments, the child struggled to his feet, then wriggled free of grasping arms as his parents tried to hug and hold him. Maddox gave a disgusted sigh, part growl, and stalked away. Ambrose waited until the joyful family was gone. Then he went through the gates and walked up to the tree and pressed his hands against the unnaturally smooth bark. Be strong. Be clean, he whispered. Somehow, Arden will find a way to heal you and free you. I promise. He wasn't sure how he would keep that promise, when he was a prisoner and Arden's letters no longer reached him. For all he knew, Maddox had told the world he was dead. Perhaps that was for the best. The worst, most dangerous thing Arden could do was come here to Stonemount, not even for the sake of the magic apple tree should she ever put herself in Maddox's hands. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What if Sleeping Beauty wanted to sleep? What if the sleep was amnesia? Or just a long, bad dream? What if her beauty sleep lasted too long? What if she sacrificed herself to sleep to protect her family? Those are just some of the questions explored in the new Fairy Tales anthology, Perchance to Dream. Seventeen authors present new twists on the story of Sleeping Beauty. Perchance to Dream. Fairy Tale Anthology Number 3. New from Ye Old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. King Maddox of Stonemount did not want to come to Princess Arden's wedding that fall. Despite his best efforts, he couldn't come up with excuses. He refused to admit that he might have made some miscalculations, especially when Jago was present. 
always giving him those looks that made clear he was disappointed in him. How dare he? Jago had long ago passed from master and teacher to an advisor whose wisdom and value faded every day. Bianca wanted to go to the wedding. He couldn't tell her no, because she had fully recovered from birthing their son, his heir, Maxon. Until his agents were secure enough in Ambre to begin eliminating members of the royal family, Maddox needed to play adoring husband. Besides, all the healers and nursemaids said Maxon would start growing soon. He was just delicately built like his mother, and he would prove a healthy, strong, active child now that the heat of summer had passed. Maddox chafed at the traditions and advice of the healers, that he and Bianca not have another child for at least two years. If she had recovered from birthing Maxon, then why couldn't she get pregnant again? It was a conspiracy to deny him all the success he had certainly earned. The wedding invitation coincided with the regular convocation of kings to meet and share news about the activities of magic wielders and threats from overseas, the harvests in different kingdoms, and to renew alliances and friendships. Maddox needed to present himself as the more-than-worthy successor to his father's throne. The route to this year's convocation went straight through Westerland. Most of the kings coming from the eastern side of the continent had been invited to attend the wedding to stop and refresh themselves on their journey before continuing west to the coast for the convocation. Maddox sneered outwardly, but inwardly trembled in loathing and fury at the image he would present to his peers if he absented himself. Sending Jago in his place simply would not do. Maddox didn't trust him. He seriously considered arranging for a convenient accident to befall Jago and stop his judgmental glances. His constant murmurs meant to be correction, but served only to irritate. The most galling part of anticipating the wedding festivities was seeing Arden herself. His spies reported she continued to bloom in beauty. He tried to tell himself that her rustic charms would begin to fade soon, that her skin touched by the sun would toughen, and all that dirt she wallowed in for her plant-wise duties would dull and dry her skin. Every time he slandered her vibrant coloring in his mind, Bianca's delicate pallor grew less appealing, like cold, plain rice. Like any peasant, her hips would spread, and her backside enlarge with each child she gave her common-born groom. And that was the most galling part. She was marrying the captain of the guard. How dare she sully herself! tainting her royal blood, making herself even less appealing. She had a duty to be at least endurable during the short time Maddox would be forced to marry her and impregnate her so their son could take over his uncle's throne. Someday, how dare Arden add another name to the list of people Maddox had to kill to fulfill his long-range plans? He considered the invitation to the wedding an insult, a slap in the face. They were mocking him. Even though he knew no one in Westerland had the wit to guess at the plans he had made, he still felt as if someone were mocking him, challenging him to act, insisting that he had failed, somehow. Yet he went, playing at joyful ally and friend and adoring husband and proud new father. Before he left Stonemount, he left instructions for the healer in the palace staff to reduce the daily dose of herbs in Ambrose's meals that dulled his alertness and stunted his healing gift. 
If the stubborn old fool insisted on continuing to live, then he could at least make himself useful and employ his healing gift to make sure the heir to the throne grew stronger and healthier. Maddox fought to be pleasant on the journey to Portham. Bianca was so excited, far more lively than usual, that he found some actual pleasure in the journey. She was a sweet thing and adored him, and he did enjoy pleasing her. Yet even that had its limits. He contented himself with knowing that his bride was the most beautiful woman in the surrounding ten kingdoms. Until Arden emerged from the palace gates into the garden where the wedding took place. She glowed. She shimmered. Light flooded from her face, and green-gold magic radiated from her so brightly, her elegantly simple white gown and her bouquet and crown of white roses almost vanished. Every man attending the wedding sat up a little straighter, or stood a little taller. Maddox ground his teeth and his stomach nodded. Arden would have looked at him that way on this very day if he had stuck to Jago's plan. He looked at white blonde Bianca, and for a moment his sparkling pale wife was a washed-out little thing compared to golden glowing Arden, with her red-gold hair hanging past her knees and her green-blue eyes shining and huge and bright with dreams. Her lips were soft pink and pursed in a smile she couldn't repress, even in the most solemn moments of the ceremony. Maddox knew, with stomach-turning certainty, those lips would have been sweet and eager, and until a year ago, reserved for his pleasure alone. Bianca had giggled and twitched away nervously the first few times he took her into his arms. Bridal nerves had been charming, but not for long, and he grew weary of being tender and patient long before he had any satisfaction. Arden, Maddox suddenly knew, would have been eager from the first kiss. No ridiculous coaxing, no swallowing of angry scolding, no tears to endure. Laughter and eagerness and passion. And now Darian would have it all. Maddox hated the man now as much as he had hated Alex since they were boys, wrestling in these very gardens. He tried to tell himself the man was only picking up his throwaways, and Arden was too flawed to make a proper queen. He tried to tell himself Darian didn't have the wit to realize he wasn't marrying a proper princess. Darian had stolen her love away from Maddox. Darian had tricked that filthy simpleton princess into betraying Maddox. She was even duller and more simple than he had first thought. How else could she be so happy right this moment? with her simple wedding and common-born bridegroom. She was a silly child and would have adored him, done everything he asked, used her plant-wise gift solely for his service, and he had thrown it away. For two agonizing seconds, Maddox considered the idea that he might have been a fool. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.